Hello and welcome to the In Focus podcast. I'm Sohasini Heather, the Hindu's diplomatic affairs editor and your host for today's show. While everybody knows about what we have been seeing in in terms of the Indian media, it's sometimes less easy to find out really what is happening in the Chinese media. How does the Chinese media view, for example, uh, the LAC standoff, the standoff at the line of actual control? Uh, obviously, this is not just about what one reads in the Global Times. And with me to talk a little bit about how um, we need to uh, view what China is saying through its media. What are the messages? coming out of Beijing is Professor Hemant Adlatka. He is uh, uh, with the Center for Chinese and Southeast Asian Studies at the Jawaharlal Nehru University in Delhi. He's also an honorary fellow with the Institute of uh, China Studies. Um, Professor Adlatka, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you, Suhasini. Um, I, I want to start just by asking you, uh, obviously, you've been following what is uh, written, uh, not just in the media, but in terms of scholarly papers and others in China for uh, for probably decades now. But what have you really seen in the last month since May? How was it uh, that the standoff at the line of actual control was first uh, reported? Uh, we know that right at the beginning, there wasn't that much uh, coming from China on the issue when did you really see the number of stories increasing? Yeah, I mean, you're right that I had, I had been following uh, whatever is being uh, reported or uh, even commentaries and op-ed uh, articles in the Chinese media, of course, other than Global Times. And you're right uh, that initially uh, there, was, there wasn't much actually. And... Uh, I mean, those who follow China, they know very well that uh, such issues, especially uh, the border conflicts with India uh, in, the, in, in, in the recent past also, actually do not make into headlines in the Chinese media, uh, official media or semi-official media. And this time also the same thing had happened. I mean, throughout uh, May, for example, uh, we did not see much in terms of uh, reporting in the media on what's going on on China's western border. And uh, even uh, a couple of days after what happened on the 15th June, there wasn't much actually in terms of uh, reporting of the incident or whatever you call it. But actually, uh, suddenly there was a uh, you know spurt in writings, especially commentaries and analysis, on what had happened on 15 June and why uh, it happened, what happened, and then a series of uh, commentaries by veteran Chinese current affairs commentators, strategic affairs analysts, some of them whom I've been following for a long time, and uh, they, they are by, by no means uh, I mean, can be considered as just uh, talking loosely or loudmouths or something. They're very serious analysts and commentators and uh, another interesting thing is that most of these commentators do not necessarily uh, confine to china's south asia expert or india expert they are generally uh, china's strategic affairs security affairs um, experts and analysts so that that takes it to a different level altogether so as i was saying that after a couple of days after 15 june I mean, in particular, if I if I can be more specific, then from 18th or 19th June onwards, 
I've seen that uh, for the next seven or ten days, almost every day, they were uh, on average uh, three to four serious commentaries and analysis of uh, what is happening on China's western border. In terms of uh, the incident itself, of course, uh, as we know from uh, our media reporting here, that everything is being accused, China is being accused for uh, this offensive uh, assault or action or uh, brutal murder of our soldiers, etc. So whatever reporting there was there on, in Chinese media, similar um, accusations and all the blame and reasons are being attributed to the Indian forces. Uh, an Indian uh, continuous, consistent, provocative act on the western border and belligerence for, for the past, especially recent years. So whatever we have been saying in our media here about, you know, China is to be blamed, similar uh, things have been reported in Chinese media that India is to be blamed, etc., etc. But uh, when you look at the uh, commentaries or analysis following 18th or 19th June, uh, it is surprising that right. you know they, they they have actually laid bare their entire uh, strategy that how this time it is different compared to even the most recent one in the past like doklam so i think doklam perhaps right. was the game changer and um, uh, there have been uh, some commentaries in china in the past which had been referred to by some writings here and there, but I don't think uh, much of it actually uh, came into public domain or public discourse in India. And uh, where uh, it was very categorical that uh, China is now beginning to realize that although for, for a long time China has not been paying attention to India as a rival in courts, or something, or a country which can actually be bothering China. But I think uh, post Doklam, the uh, Chinese started revising their strategy. Uh, some commentators even wrote uh, post Doklam that uh, uh, China now must uh, reassess, re examine, and reformulate its India strategy. Primarily because uh, they thought that India is now becoming a, a bigger irritant as far as China's overall national policy is concerned. So, so looked at from that point of view, it seems what has been now written in the Chinese commentaries in the last two weeks or so, that uh, China was very clear that China must put an end to this uh, belligerent and provocative act which India has been indulging uh, over the years. So in, in, in what you were saying, even the Galvan clash um, is seen on the Chinese side as, uh, as perhaps uh, something that was done by the Indian army, not by the PLA. Exactly. Exactly. Are there, are there, um, you know, you, you spoke about the idea that that people are writing much more about strategy. Give me with some examples of what is that strategy that seems to be coming forward. For example, I mean, if we uh, start off from uh, what happened in Doklam crisis, I mean, that is how the Chinese, mm -hmm. this is the expression Chinese use for Doklam, Doklam crisis. Uh, of course, there are individual uh, 
commentaries and writers who do use the terms as uh, face-off, standoff, etc. But largely, uh, especially after the Doklam uh, crisis was over, in much of the Chinese discourse, it has been referred to as a Doklam crisis. Even now, when they are writing about what is happening uh, in Galwan Valley, the references to Doklam are all being, uh, the expression being used is the Doklam crisis. In fact, uh, there were several commentaries even after Doklam crisis was over that, uh, right. that China was embarrassed during Doklam. And one of the reasons given for China's embarrassment in Doklam was that how could China let the Doklam crisis go on for so long? So that was seen as, as embarrassing for China and also kind of a uh, uh, failure for the Chinese uh, diplomacy or Chinese um, strategy. But it shouldn't be sorted out for so long. Yeah, I mean, uh, so I think that set the alarms well. And the Chinese started right. uh, thinking afresh on what to do with India, specifically on their western border. That uh, I mean, there, there is a divided uh, opinion among China's strategic affairs community that whether to take problems with India, especially on the western border, as a major contradiction for China's national policy or strategy, security strategy, or China must continue to treat India the way China has been uh, looking at India as still not defining problems with India as a major contradiction. There, there were some writings and I, I had written uh, about it uh, in early 2018 that uh, yeah. there were many commentaries in China which, uh, which, which pointed out that, of course, uh, US-China relationship or Sino-US relationship uh, remains the most important bilateral relationship in the world and for China. And U.S. continues to be the um, U.S.-China um, contradiction or equation continues to be the major contradiction as far as China's um, worldview is concerned. Uh, no, I was just saying that what you're saying is essentially all of this commentary started after Doklam. And yet between Doklam and now, Prime Minister Modi and uh, Chinese President Xi Jinping have met so many times, including two of these informal summits that the two of them held. Um, and, and it did seem actually for the period in between these two, um, you know, from about 2018 uh, when you were writing to 2020, that there was a period of actual uh, peace and understanding between the two leaderships, at least. Does that mean that there is a part of uh, the Chinese establishment that is out of step or is this very much driven by the Chinese president? Well, I mean, you are right that uh, the period between, uh, let's say, from Wuhan um, spirit, uh, Wuhan summit to uh, Chennai, it looked as if, uh, you know, there is uh, some kind of a very peaceful and very cordial, uh, even person-to-person rapport -person, uh, and relationship between the two leaders. But I think uh, from the Chinese point of view, Chinese was very clear and that had been Chinese strategy vis-a-vis -vis India for a long time, that somehow India has to be uh, kept under control. So, so that... Managed in a sense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, so some, what happened in Doklam was actually, it took them by surprise. And um, 
one of the reason uh, in their uh, discussions or uh, discourse which one can understand one of the reasons for doklam was uh, and the same reasons have been now put forward uh, for the galvan incident also is that uh, i mean india has been under a very strong uh, political party rule and a strong leader uh, for the last uh, several years and uh, so many commentators have written about it that uh wherever you have especially in so called democracies if you have strong uh, uh, nationalist or hyper nationalist kind of a leader or party then very often they actually don't deliver much to the needs of their own country and the problems of their own people and it is much more rhetoric and much more to try to project externally their image or their country's uh, status globally etc etc and that is what many commentators have attributed to uh, the current leadership in india and that is actually very interesting you know you wrote in early 2020 that uh, china is seeing india as a rival uh, according to your understanding what really are the reasons for these actions at the lac we've uh we've seen so many different commentators speak about the strategic reasons cutting off uh indian infrastructure in a in a in a fairly difficult uh, terrain uh the other reasons being uh, about china's expansionism its aggression with other neighbors as well uh, some have spoken about the idea that uh, india's change of article 370 and uh, the uh, the, uh, the bifurcation of the state into ladakh and jammu and kashmir uh, actually angered uh, chi- the chinese establishment according to you what really is uh, is uh, what are the reasons yeah that's a very uh, very relevant and very interesting uh, question or the way you have formulated uh, i'll i'll use uh, a chinese saying you know chinese language uh, is because of their culture and history much of their discourse is full of idioms and metaphors and and even their leaders are very fond of using metaphors and sometimes uh, even if uh, for a non chinese even if we are you know we can even if we speak chinese and if you are not very familiar with the culture and history then it is possible that even a chinese speaking um person may miss the nuances if you are not familiar with the cultural history so right. so in this particular um, um situation post galvan which can be applied to uh, post doklam actually chinese have been using many commentators have been using as chinese saying roughly translated uh, means that uh, if you try to gain an advantage sometimes you only end up worse off basically basically means i mean in a very simple hindi if i put it it will be that uh, if you are not careful then jo haath mein hai wo bhi kho baithoge so this is how they are trying to uh, uh, because many commentators have written this time for the first time perhaps that they are completely at loss they don't understand and they are puzzled by 
why India keeps doing it or has been doing it over the years to indulge in uh, border clashes or uh, this belligerent Indian attitude with the Chinese because China has never seen India as a rival or enemy. Interesting, because that's exactly what the narrative in India is. India are worried and commentators here are worried about why is China doing this? Exactly. So the Chinese are saying that we, I mean, India has you know, thousands of problems at home to deal with. Instead of that, why are they wasting their resources and energies to scale up the Himalayas and keep on doing this uh, you know, trouble with China? What do they gain? And that, that, that's something which many Chinese commentators have written this time after the Galvan incident, right? So, so what happened was basically post Doklam, as I was saying, that Chinese were suddenly alarmed. Alarmed in the sense that they thought that, uh, especially given the changing geopolitical situation and the uh, changing equation in the Indo-Pacific, and uh, other, uh, you know, political changes. Suddenly, they realize that uh, now they cannot just keep on ignoring the irritant India as far as China's larger uh, scheme is concerned. Especially, I am referring to the uh, BRI and CPEC and all that. Mm. So, so, in that context, uh, uh, they started seriously looking up to India as what to do, you know, how to tackle this irritant on the western border. So at that time, in, in late 2017 and early 2018, there were a lot of articles who started talking about that uh, following the Sino-US contradiction, which they see as a main contradiction. Next, the second main contradiction was with, between China and Japan. But, but th these commentaries, they started pointing out that Japan is, has been taken care of. I mean, Japan is no more a threat, that bigger a threat, compared to the increasing uh, belligerence uh, on the western border from India. So, so that is what I had written in early 2018, that China is now beginning to see India as a bigger potential threat. That's uh, uh, that's as far as um, actually, you know, explaining to us what the standoff uh, today means. What about the larger worry that most have that China is in fact on a map making exercise? That places have their names changed suddenly, and the next thing you know, uh, China has a claim on them, not just in uh, parts of Ladakh, which earlier were not in contention. Uh, very recently, we saw China claim a part of uh, eastern Bhutan. That was never a, a point of contention. There are other such claims that that we hear about. Um, do you think that uh, the, uh, the the sort of project that one sees of a kind of you know uh, map making almost or reclaiming boundaries, uh, reclaiming many of Tibet's boundaries, uh, as it were, with what were called the Five Fingers, is is that something that's driving the Chinese leadership now? You see. Uh uh, I mean, this has to be seen uh, from from the Chinese point of view. If you look at at the Chinese narrative, because Chinese have been consistent uh, in their narrative on all these issues. I mean, since 1962, even even now, 
it's some of the commentaries on the uh, Galvan Valley incident. They have written that, uh, and they keep quoting Mao. For example, many articles I have seen in the last ten days, where uh, when they are when the Chinese commentators are writing about uh, what happened in Galvan, and they, they they have gone back to Mao, and they they quote Mao where Mao had said even ten days before the 1962 war that. I still don't understand why do we have to go, uh, you know, at war with India, because India is right. not our enemy, you know, and th and that has been consistent in Chinese narrative. I mean, I know it's 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 very uh, politically <laughs> uh, kind of uh, scandalous to say this thing here, but uh, right. I'm just pointing out that what Chinese narrative has been consistently. Uh, put, uh, put, putting forward their problems with India. So all these issues which you just mentioned about changing names or uh, five fingers, etc., etc. I mean, it's like South China Sea. I mean, uh, and many commentators have tried to draw a parallel, uh, sort of parallel between what is happening on the western border and what is happening uh, as far as Chinese. Aggressive posturing is concerned in South China Sea since, since, let's say, to be more specific, since 2011, right? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, if looked at in this context, it is only that Chinese one maybe because uh, there this new Cold War between China and the U.S., which has really uh, made China feel very insecure from the security point of view. And they see that if China does not act now, whether it is South China Sea or whether it is on its western border, uh, they they do talk about western border, but when they actually write about it, they say the entire uh, border with China. And many commentators have written also this time that uh, they have to now do something to recover their lost territory to India, and and. Like in, they, they say that in 1962, the one month war ensured peace on the border for next five decades. So time has come now to do something similar so that the western border is managed and remains uh, peaceful and full of tranquility for another long time to come. That is one narrative. All right. Okay. So uh, I'll very quickly, uh, in the, in this context only, uh, tell you th that they have a short-term strategy also and a long-term strategy also, specifically uh, with India on the western border or entire border, let's say. So the long-term strategy is that uh, one prevent India from building or repairing roads, speci especially for the war purposes in Kashmir. Second. Mm -hmm. Expedite construction of China-Nepal rail, rail link. And three, step up building naval and military bases in the Indian Ocean. And in the short term uh, tactics, uh, they point out that China must have a focused approach and be patient, whether it is border conflicts with India and or Indian trade ban or sanctions against China, etc., etc. Because many commentators actually have uh, laughed on the so-called use of the term digi digital strike uh, yesterday also. Yeah. 
many Chinese commentators have laughed. They're saying that why doesn't India understand? It actually doesn't even dent us. Uh, then China must wait for opportune time and the right opportunity, depending on the internal political developments and political dynamics in India. That, that is the second uh, in the ta short term uh, tactics. Third, China must not spare any effort to resolve a conflict like situation by working on political and diplomatic channels. Four, China must not allow border conflict at hand to slip out of control and turn into an unavoidable war. And here I also want to clarify that what Chinese mean by this is that they still continue to see the problems with India or the problems with India on the border as a strategic issue and not as a, you know, geo war-like uh, issue. It's still a strategic issue, which can be actually uh, taken care of uh, politically or diplomatically. Right. So this is this this is a, a, a wealth of knowledge, I, and you are essentially collating all of these commentaries and 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 looking at them uh, in order to see what is changing in China, what's coming out of there, Professor Adlaka. Many would say this is a rare, uh, um, uh, a rare facility to have the, uh, because there are such few people in India who are trained in Mandarin, who understand and understand the phraseology as well as the Chinese thought behind it. Um, is that something that bothers you? You see, um, actually, uh, India is perhaps the only country for, for whom for, for who China matters a lot. And India does not have the required adequate Mandarin facility. For example, today any country in the world for, for whom China matters, and I've seen this thing personally also, I've experienced this thing personally also by attending various academic conferences, seminars in uh, small countries as well as big countries, in Asia, in Southeast Asia, as well as in Europe, in America, especially uh, for the past decade and a half. In all these international conferences and uh, seminars, academic seminars I'm talking about, the foreign scholars or the foreign China experts, they all come and present their papers in Chinese. And they participate in the deliberations in Chinese. And I've seen in China also similar conferences. Mostly the conferences are, you know, the medium of the conference is bilingual. There are parallel English and Chinese language sessions. And it's very interesting that in the Chinese language sessions, you will see the Chinese language sessions are overcrowded with foreign scholars' participation. And the English language sessions are overcrowded with Chinese participants. You know the reason? Because both are trying to improve their language. India is the only country, I must say, India is the exception, that I have not attended a single conference in the last 20 years in India on China, where the conference or seminar sessions have taken place in Mandarin. Well, fascinating, uh, Professor Hemant Adlaka. Thanks so much for sharing with us your knowledge and, and your time here on the Hindu podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Suhasini. It's my pleasure.